Hi, and welcome to episode 38 of Five Minutes of Rum, notes on rum a few minutes at a time. My name is Kevin Up the Grove. Today's episode features a relatively easy to find light rum and another chance for me to overpronounce the Spanish language, Florida Cana 4 or Florida Cana Extra Seco, plus a couple of notes on brandy and the book Sip and Safari, plus two island themed cocktails. Uh, that may make the show seem kind of long, but spoiler alert, I don't think it's actually going to be terribly long. So as mentioned in the intro, today's feature rum is Florida Cana 4 or Florida Cana Extra Seco. Uh, Florida Cana is a rum from Nicaragua. Florida Cana loosely translates to, uh, well, I guess literally would translate to flower of sugar uh, or sugarcane flower. Uh, this was the first distillery in the region, uh, excuse me, in Nicaragua. The, the first distillery in that region was created in 1890. Florida Cana, the company was formed, it, itself was formed in 1937. And from the notes on their site, it sounds as though they entered the U.S. market near 1999. They produce column-stilled rums in the Spanish style, and the distillery itself is known for being extremely environmentally conscious in their environmentally conscious practices, which include such things as a system that collects CO2 that is produced during fermentation, um, CO2 which is then cleaned and then sold to local industrial gas consumers like the local Coca-Cola bottling company. Um, hat tip to the Ministry of Rum website, um, link in the show notes for the details on their practices and the distillery themselves. And while this is only obliquely mentioned on their official site, uh, Florida Cana has one of the largest stored, uh, excuse me, largest stores of aged rum in the world. And that's primarily because during, um, let's just say, the politically turbulent 1980s, uh, Iran-Contra, for those of you that remember that, uh, Florida Cana was still producing rum in Nicaragua, but it wasn't going anywhere. Uh, so they have lots of what they'll refer to on their site as patiently aged rum. Um, and this rum store gives them the ability to age their rums and produce a wide variety of uh, aged rums and not deplete their store. If you think about one of the things that you'll, uh, one of the things with rum and whiskey is when a rum or whiskey gets popular, if they haven't been producing a lot of it, they're for a time will have trouble keeping up with demand because obviously if you're going to have a, let's say a 12 year whiskey or a 12 year rum, it needs to age for 12 years. If you can't anticipate that demand, it takes you a while to catch up. Um, one of the benefits, therefore, of producing rum and then not selling it for a while is you have a de facto uh, store of rum that you can draw from as you need to. Anyways, the Florida Cana 4 Extra Seco, uh, Extra Seco means extra dry, uh, is a rum in the Spanish style. So it's a ron instead of necessarily rum. Uh, if you remember, ron is Spanish for rum. It's a molasses-based rum that's column distilled and aged for four years in white American oak. So as a Spanish-style rum, you would expect certain characteristics. You would expect it to be crisp. You would expect it to be dry, um, probably have a thin, uh, at best, maybe medium mouthfeel. Um, and this is a rum that would be similar to a Puerto Rican or a uh, Vir U.S. Virgin Islands rum. This is You would substitute for those. So if your recipe you're looking for calls for a light Virgin Island rum or a light Puerto Rican rum or even a light Cuban rum, this would all be in that light Spanish rum style. Um, the rum itself is bottled at 80 proof or 40% alcohol by volume. Uh, it's readily available, or at least I find it to be readily, avail readily available. Um, it's available at a local beverages and more. Uh, I think I've also seen it in certain grocery stores, so it shouldn't be too difficult to find. Uh, the price averages somewhere between $15 to $20 a bottle, depending on where you buy it and what your what kind of sale you find it on. Um, you can also find, you know, some different bargains in some other stores, sometimes see it uh, priced as low as 12 or $13 a bottle, 
which puts it in line, but maybe a couple of bucks more than some uh, a comparable uh, light rums in that style, like the Don Q Crystal all the way back from episode two, uh, which I can usually find for about $10 a bottle. Um, and then the US Virgin Islands uh, Crujon light rum, which comes in usually about 10 or $11 a bottle for a 750 milliliter bottle. So let's grab a glass of the Florida Cogna Extra Seco and give this a try. Um, in terms of appearance, uh, silver rums are easy to uh, knock out the appearance on. Uh, they are clear in the bottle and they are clear in the glass. Florida Cogna redid their bottles a year or so ago and they're a nice, uh, maybe a little plain, but they're a nice rounded square bottle. Um, it fits nicely on the shelf, has a screw top, um, and you know, looks, looks pretty good. It's nothing substantial. It doesn't have that cork finish, but it's a nice looking bottle. Um, when poured and swirled in a glass, I found it to have some quickly forming legs that became heavy droplets. Um, and eventually if I let it sit there, it looks like a rain has fallen on the inside of my glass. In terms of aroma, uh, if you swirl it and then take a, a smell right away, you get a very, uh, to me, a very astringent smell agitating uh, the rum in the glass and picking up the alcohol notes. Over, other than that, it smells pretty clean um, and there's no real distinguishing aroma. I'm not picking up anything like a spice or or grass or anything like that. It's overall just pretty clean with hints of alcohol to let you know that there's some some booze in there. In terms of taste, a little bit there. Um, warm on the lips and a little bit of pepper on the tongue. It's dry as you might expect from this style of rum. Uh, I don't pick up re any real sweetness I also don't pick up too much oak from the aging, but that may be because they're filtering out some of the uh, oakiness after the aging. Because once the rum spends its four years in the in barrel aging, uh, it goes through a charcoal filter to remove the color. And uh, there perhaps it's removing a little bit of that oakiness that you might expect from an aged rum. Um, it's smooth to sip. It's just not terribly complex. Let me grab a little bit more here. Mm. And then... Um, I found the finish to be quick, a little bit hot, but it doesn't really hang around for very long. So um, it's gone before you know it. In To sum up what I would find the characteristics on this rum or the way I would characterize this rum, uh, it's a fine rum for recipes that call for a light Spanish style or a light Puerto Rican rum. It's not something I'd sip on its own uh, as it lacks some of the characteristics of other white rums like the Plantation Three Star and the Denison White, which is coming up on another show. Um, so those, those rums, uh, tend to be a little bit more complex though, to be fair, they are blends of different types of rums. So you would expect them to be more complex. This rum is kind of just what it is. It's designed to be a good mixing rum to use in cocktails. Uh, kudos for not having some overt baking spice notes that I found in other white silver rums that are in a similar price range. Uh, again, I think this one is made to mix and, and we'll get to that in just a, a few minutes. And and interesting looking back at my notes from episode two, when I talked about Don Crystal, I see that I had many of the same thoughts about that rum. So, um, and uh, I, it's it's some that I, something I've mentioned on my substitutions page on the Five Minutes of Rum website as well. Um, they're, they're not ex exactly completely interchangeable, but they are very similar in, in style. Um, and I, I find that I don't necessarily need to have uh, multiples of this style of rum. So, generally speaking, I'll probably have either the Cruzon Light or the Don Q Crystal, or I'll have a Florida Cogna Four in my bar at any one time, but I don't necessarily need to stock all three of them. Um, just because it's a good thing to do, I also use this rum in a daiquiri. I found it to be, in that context, very refreshing and doing a good job of highlighting the lime and the sugar. And again, the rum in that case is playing a supporting role and not taking the lead, so it kind of fades to the background. Um, in essence, this rum ends up being the rhythm guitarist of a cocktail.
Now, a really brief note on brandy because it'll apply um, in a little bit to, uh, and it'll apply to the the recipe in today's in today's episode. So, brandy is a distilled wine. Uh, there, to be clear, it's not just taking a typical bottle of wine and then distilling it. It's a wine for brandy is usually lower in sugar and higher in acid, which helps it uh, helps uh, people produce what they're looking for in a brandy. While a, a typical wine has an ABV in the eighteen, um, excuse me, the eleven to eighteen percent range. Uh, brandy is typically 35% ABV or higher once it's been distilled and, and reaches its final status. Uh, it's then aged in all manners and distinctions and gets nifty letters like VSOP and XO. Um, you can also find brandies made from uh, many fruits, apricot brandy, apple brandy, pear brandy. They're typically referred to very directly. You know, you're going to see a recipe calling for a peach brandy or an apricot brandy. Regular brandy is not... Um, referred to as a great brandy, I guess, because it would be weird to call it that. But anyway, uh, brandy is a rabbit hole all of its own. There's, um, I'm going to put a link to the Wikipedia entry in the show notes, but I'm simply calling it out because today's recipe calls for blackberry brandy, and it's something that's called for, you know, different flavors of brandy are called for in, in different recipes on this show. So blackberry brandy itself may sound a little esoteric, but it's becoming increasingly common to find uh, niche styles of brandy. Uh, it's not an ingredient, blackberry brandy that is, is not an ingredient that you use all the time uh, in all likelihood. In fact, I'm actually not even using a brand, uh, blackberry brandy. I'm actually using a brack, brack, blackberry liqueur from Leopold Brothers. That's linked in the show notes as well. Um, it comes in a smaller 375 milliliter bottle, uh, and I've been able to make that last a long time. So even though I don't have a lot of applications for it, it's not going to go bad because liqueurs tend to last for a very long time. Um, I've used it in today's recipe and then slightly tweaked the recipe to account for the low, lower alcohol by volume and higher sweetness in the liqueur versus the brandy. Um, and then I've also used the blackberry liqueur in an original cocktail that will be featured in, uh, in an upcoming show. Flavored brandies can help tune a cocktail when used in responsible amounts. Um, you're not going to want to use too much of it because it's going to overtake the other ingredients, but it can add some really nice accents. In fact, apricot brandy is one of my favorites to use in rum cocktails. Uh, and taking my cue from classic drink recipes in that case, because I found that to be present in a couple of drink recipes that I found that I enjoyed and realized that a little bit of apricot brandy could add quite a bit to um, an otherwise, you know, a, a cocktail that was otherwise pretty good, but could use just a little bit tweak, uh, a little bit more of a tweak. Um, this episode's recipe comes from the book Sip and Safari, which I'm, uh, I've mentioned here previously on the show, and there's a link to that in the show notes as well. And this is Jeff Berry's 2007 classic tiki history project where he tracks down not just the recipes of classic cocktails and classic tropical cocktails, but also the people who created them and the scene that surrounded that creation and these cocktails. So if you don't have one already, do pick one up uh, if you have any interest at all in classic tropical cocktails. Um, it also looks like the current printing has changed away from the glossy pages of some of the original printings. Uh, I bought another copy recently uh, to have a backup in the bar. And notice that it's gone to more of a, I don't know, not really a newsprint finish, but something that's a little more matte and a little less glossy. Uh, Sip and Safari, like Beach Bunbury Remixed, is a soft cover, uh, what they refer to as perfect bound book, uh, kind of like a regular paperback book, which is unlike uh, Barry's Spiral Bound Grog Log and Intoxica and Taboo Table. Uh, so with as with Beach Bunbury Remixed, I took a copy of Sip and Safari over to Kinko's asked them to cut off the spine and asked them to put a spiral binding on it. And now my, my, excuse me, my most recent copy, 
my bar copy can lay flat and more importantly, stay open to the page I want when I'm mixing from it in the bar. So uh, pick up a copy of Sip and Safari if you don't have it. It is the Proto Potions of the Caribbean um, and it is a, an excellent read, not just for the recipes, but also for getting into the, uh, the history around the cocktails that made up the uh, classic tiki scene. As I mentioned, today's recipe com- comes from Sip and Safari. Uh, the recipe is the Kamehameha Rum Punch and it comes from chapter four. Uh, chapter four is uh, on how the tropical cocktail migrated to Hawaii. So you can find the irony in that statement, but the um, the gist is is that the Hawaii the cocktails you could find in Hawaii before Don Beach and others immigrated over to Hawaii. I guess it wouldn't be immigrated, but it moved over to Hawaii and established more of a um, Polynesian scene. There it was the the cocktails then were not the same as the cocktails served now. The uh, Kamehameha Rum Punch was served at the Hotel King Kamehameha on, Ko- on Kona, uh, and the recipe is dated from 1960. It reads a lot like what you would now expect when you read about a Hawaiian cocktail. It leans on the sweet side, and it features an expected Hawaiian flavor via the pineapple juice uh, with an expected visual via the blackberry and grenadine turning the glass a darker red with a dark rum float on top. Those are all many of the same characteristics you'll see with tropicals when you go to Hawaii. Uh, usually uh, a lot of fruit juice, a little bit of light rum, some color to it, typically from grenadine. And then there's the dark rum float. That's sort of the the proto-Polynesian uh, cocktail as seen in Hawaii. So the recipe itself for the Kamehameha Rum Punch is one ounce of light Puerto Rican rum, or in this case, the Florida Cana 4, two ounces of pineapple juice, one half ounce of lemon juice, one teaspoon of blackberry brandy, one teaspoon of grenadine, one teaspoon of simple syrup, and then an ounce of dark rum, uh, dark Jamaican rum in this case, the Karuba, uh, and that's going to be reserved for a float. So for the to create the recipe as listed, fill a Collins glass with crushed ice, add all of the ingredients except the dark Jamaican rum, and then stir until the glass frosts over. Uh, then float the dark Jamaican rum on top. A traditional Hawaiian garnish would be a pineapple wedge and a cherry. Uh, if you don't have that handy, a sprig of mint is usually a safe bet for most tropicals as well. And as I mentioned, if you're using blackberry liqueur, you're going to want to tweak the recipe a little bit to account for the differences between a blackberry liqueur and a blackberry brandy. So if you're doing that, uh, omit the simple syrup out of the recipe and then increase the light rum to 1.25 ounces. Um, In terms of taste, this cocktail tastes uh, pretty much like an island vacation. Uh, And speaking of which, the second recipe in this uh, episode is what I've, you know, what my version of what I would call the island Mai Tai. So uh, when I did a talk on the Mai Tai as a cocktail at the Rum Rum Club at the Tonga Hut in North Hollywood in the summer of 2013, I wanted to, in that talk, illustrate how the classic or Trader Vic's version of the Mai Tai came to be and how it subsequently devolved in Hawaii. So I put this recipe together as an approximation of that Hawaiian style. Um, I hope it goes without saying that I prefer a classic Mai Tai, but like the King Kamehameha Rum Punch, this one also evokes a feeling of an island vacation in both look and taste. And sometimes that's just what I want from a cocktail, an easy escape to an island dream or maybe a fond memory. So to make the island Mai Tai, uh, take one and a half ounces, yeah, one and a half ounces of silver Puerto Rican rum, again, using the Florida Cana, one and a half ounces of orange juice, one and a half ounces of pineapple juice, one half ounce of lime juice, and one half ounce of simple syrup. Put that together in a Boston shaker, shake that with ice cubes, and then pour unstrained into a double old-fashioned glass. 
At that point, float uh, some dark rum on top. You can use Karuba. Uh, I've made it with Karuba, and just most recently, I made it with the new Hamilton Demerara 86 and floated that on top, and that was pretty nice as well. Garnish that with a pineapple wedge and then sip and relax and picture the island breeze just sort of blowing over you. Some days, all you really want are the escapism that a cocktail can provide. And on that, thanks for listening. Show links are up on the 5 Minutes of Rum website. That's number5minutesofrum.com. The show is also on iTunes as 5 Minutes of Rum. You can subscribe, rate the show, or leave a review. Reviews do help, so if you have a couple minutes to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very much appreciated. The show is also on Twitter as at 5 Minutes of Rum. That's the at symbol number 5 Minutes of Rum. Please send in comments, corrections, feedback, or requests via either the 5 Minutes of Rum website or on Twitter. And now, go get some rum.